139, verses 1 through 10 read, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. What amazing truth, what amazing comfort, what amazing peace, what amazing confidence comes from knowing that we have a God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, and through Jesus, his presence lives inside of us. His faithfulness is amazing. His faithfulness is ever-present, morning by morning, day by day, season by season, situation by situation, no matter how good or bad, he is there and he cares. And how amazing is that for us to know? Torrin Wells has a song, and most of you have probably heard it on the radio, called Hills and Valleys. And I think it speaks so beautifully to, to how we should live. It says, on the mountains, I will bow my head to the one who sent me there. And in the valley, I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. You see, as, as human beings, it's, it's so uh, such a natural tendency for us to, to go to the extremities. And that is, if we have a great accomplishment in our lives and we're standing on a mountaintop, we, we tend to puff our chest out and look around and say, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And in the same way, when we're going through the struggles, when we're going through trials, we, we often find ourselves in the valley going, where are you, God? Why have you left me here? In every situation, in every season, no matter how good or how bad, God is there. God is present, and he is faithful. If you are standing on the mountain, it's because of his grace and his mercy. And if you're going through the struggle and the trials, he is walking beside you. How amazing is that to know this morning? And how amazing a thought is that no matter what I face, no matter what comes before me, he already knows it's coming. It says he goes before me into that situation. And he follows me. His presence is all around me. And I pray that you know the presence of God in your life. I pray you know the presence of the Holy Spirit that comes through Jesus. I pray that's a reality in your life because it changes everything. Would you pray with me, Father God? God, I thank you for the plan and the purpose you have for our lives, God. Individually, unique for each of us. And God, I thank you that no matter what I come to face in this life, no matter how great, no matter how bad, you're there, you're in it. God, if I follow you, you will lead me through this life, knowing that your presence surrounds me in every situation, in every season. And God, for that, I praise you and I thank you, Lord. And God, I pray that that's a reality for each person here this morning, that they would know that, that they would know you care so much about them, that you long to be in relationship with them, that you don't want them to face those things in life on their own, but you want to be with them. So God, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. It's, it's, 
In his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We are so glad that you are here. We are glad to welcome the Johnson University women's soccer team with us this morning. Um, As most of you now know, I've ventured back into the world of coaching, and I'm coaching up at Johnson University, the women's soccer team. And uh, We began training this week, and so today they've joined us. They're hanging out with us today. We're going to feed them this afternoon um, at my mom and dad's house. They're not here this morning with us. Mom's cooking, and dad had a little bit of surgery this week. and so But that's nothing. That, my dad is like, like, he's got a frequent member's card. They just gave him keys at the hospital. He just lets himself in whenever he needs to now for surgery because he's there quite a bit. Um, but I want to thank Jeff this week for really picking. Where did Jeff go? He just disappeared. Okay, well, Jeff was here. Um, Jeff has really picked up a lot this week. I've not been around much. We've had two a days, and I've not been around a lot. And so I appreciate him. Three days, three, well, three a days with breakfast in the middle. It's like two a days. I consider it two a days with breakfast in the middle. They consider it three a days. Um, but so we've been, we've been working a lot this week, and, and Jeff has, has been here, and I've been in and out, and so I just appreciate all the work that he's done. Um, this week. We're going to jump back into the same passage of Scripture that we were in last week in Mark chapter 1. Now in just a second, it's going to be on the screen. And uh, I, I know that it's a really short passage of Scripture. So you may wonder, well, Todd, how are we getting two weeks out of like basically two verses? Um, well, by now, you should know me well enough to know that I don't like to look at things the same way. I like to I like to get a little different perspective on things. I like to see what the possibilities of what God could speak to us through this could, could possibly be. And so I like to look at things a little bit different. I like to question things. Um, I really like There's Jeff. Hey, Jeff, I just complimented you, so you weren't in here. Um, okay. Um, I like to look at things differently. I like to question things. When I was a kid, I was that way. Um, they always, you know how they say cats always land on their feet? So I decided to put that to test. We had a cat. I didn't like it very much. And so I would take the cat and I began when I was young tossing it in the air slightly to see if it would land on its feet. And it would. And so then I would decide, well, let's see how far this thing works. Right? So I would begin to throw the cat higher and higher into, as high as a seven-year-old could throw a cat. I mean, in my mind, I was throwing it into the roof, but it probably wasn't going more than four inches out of my hand. I was time to, and then one day I heard something on television, and that was, he always landed on his feet, by the way. Um, that was that toast always lands butter side down. So I thought, what happens if I put a piece of toast on the back of a cat? <laughs> so I asked my mom, can I have a piece of toast? She said, why? I remember this vividly. I said, well, I want to tape it to the back of the cat and throw it in the air. Like any good mother, she said, why? And I said, well, I want to see if the cat lands on its feet or the toast lands butter side down. Now, just to illustrate how good of a mother my mom is, she said, no, I couldn't do it. But I always wondered what would happen 
if I taped a piece of toast to the back of a cat and threw it up in the air, which one would win out? And I've carried that same thought process over in, into Scripture. I read an article this week, Aaron sent it to me, and then um, a couple of other people I'd seen had posted it, and so I read it, and it was this whole idea of the young church walking away from the church because they are not grounded and rooted in the Gospel. Right? They don't understand what they're reading. And so therefore, anytime they're questioned or crisis comes up in life, you know, Luke did such a good job today talking about the hills and the valley. Luke always finds a way to say so much in just a few words. Um, talking about the hills and the valleys and how when we face the hills and the valleys, so many times in our lives, it, 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 it unsettles us. It unroots us. Right? And those deep roots that we thought we had, we find out are shallow roots and we begin to question God and we begin to ask God why. Right? Why? 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 We talked about this actually in our team this week. We asked the question why and the question we should be asking ourselves is what? What are you going to do with this God? Right? Now, like, why, God, why did you allow this to happen? Things happen. Right? People get sick. My dad got cancer. He deals with it every day. Right? It, it crops back up and now it's like we get a phone call and he says, well, I'm going to have radiation this week. It's, not, it's no longer, well, cancer's back. It's just, well, we're gonna, I'm going to have radiation this week. Right? It happens. It just, that's the way that it is. And so those things happen in our lives. Instead of questioning why, I'll tell you why. Because the body is weak. Right? Because the mind is weaker. Right? Because we make bad choices. Because we make bad decisions. Because centuries ago, when we had everything perfect for us, we still chose the bad, right? Like, we still chose to eat the fruit. I say we because collectively, as people, we all would have chosen it, right? We all would have chosen it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm type 2 diabetic, and yet yesterday when Leanne walks in with a, a little bag of little candy bars from work, I reach in and grab one and pop it in my mouth and eat it, right? Because I would have chosen the fruit. If she'd walked in with a bag of carrot sticks and a little Snickers, I would have chosen the Snicker first and then eaten the carrots, right? But that's the way that we're geared. That's where we are. And because of that decision, the human body is, is weak and the mind is weaker, right? And so we struggle. So we shouldn't ask why, but what? What is God going to do with this? What, God, what can God do with this? And so I've carried that mentality over into my, my study of the Gospel and the way that I have looked at Scripture and the way that I've looked at God my entire life. I'm not a skeptic. I don't question why God. I question why do we interpret it that way? Right? Like why have we always interpreted it that way? And is it possible that God means something greater? You see, Scripture is alive. It's breathing. breathing. It's, it's, it's ever speaking to us. And every time we read it, we can gain something different. So this morning we're going to read this passage out of Mark chapter 1 again. And this is um, that first calling out of, of Simon Peter and Andrew. And so we're going to begin with verse 16. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow Me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed Him. That's it. Right? Same thing we read last week. Exact same passage. It's an abbreviated version of another telling of this same story. Simon Peter and Andrew are out fishing. They're throwing their nets in. They're doing what they do every day. They're pulling them in. Jesus walks along. Jesus looks out and Jesus says, Hey, come follow me. This microphone is driving me nuts today. 
Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And they pack up and they leave what they're doing and it says they walk off and the rest is history, right? They become followers of Jesus. I don't know what I just did to it, Luke, but I did something with it. Thanks for fixing that. All right, so the question then is, as we look at this, do we take the typical interpretation like we looked at last week? Which is, Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we go, yes, that's for all of us, every one of us, we're to be evangelists with our lives. We're to speak out loud. You know, we talk about our, our fears and our lack of qualifications like we did last week. And we begin to bargain with God. Well, God, I can't really do that. I can't be what Peter was because, I'm, you know, I'm not brave enough or I'm not loud enough or I'm not eloquent enough. And we talked about Moses and how Moses did the same thing. And how Moses said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then finally he said, well, what am I supposed to tell this guy? And God said, what? Just tell him I am. Right? And when we say, I, I'm not, God says, I am, though. Right? Like, yeah, you're, you're right, you're not, but I am, and that's sufficient enough for you and for me. But is it possible that maybe Jesus was telling us something else along with that? Is it possible that in this little short passage that we've gotten so wrapped up in the traditional, typical, hey, Jesus was calling everyone out to be an evangelist with their life, and is it possible that He was also saying something else there? So this morning, we want to look at this just a little bit differently. Let's jump in with a slightly different vantage point of what's going on here. Jesus is walking down the seashore and He begins this incomprehensible conversation, this incomprehensible moment with Andrew and with Simon. Right? It's incomprehensible because we read it and we've become so adjusted to it that we lose the, the magnification of the moment. Right? We lose this idea that Jesus literally walks up to two people that we assume He doesn't know. Is the assumption here that He doesn't know them? He doesn't walk up and be like, hey guys, good to see you again. You know, let's go grab coffee. Let's go, you know, do whatever. Jesus walks up and calls out to them and he says, come follow me, right? Two complete strangers. People he's never met before. In the other telling, there's two more that join him, right? And he walks up and he says, hey, hey guys, I see what you're doing there. I like what you're doing there, right? Like I agree with what you're doing there, but... Why don't you stop what you're doing, come follow me, and I'm going to take what you're doing and I'm going to turn it into a different passion. And it becomes incomprehensible because Andrew and Simon Peter, they do it. Right? They, they throw down the net and they walk off and they follow Jesus. Now, I, I don't know if Simon Peter, I don't know if Andrew, if they were frustrated with fishing. I don't, I'm not a fisherman, but... I hear fishing can be frustrating. Fishermen in the room, can it be frustrating when you go out there all day and nothing bites, nothing gets there? Randy says, no, it's never frustrating, right? Because it's not work, right? And it's just out on the water. I'm not a fisherman. You guys know I'm not a fisherman. I've told you the horror stories about me trying to fish in the past. I've told you about the fish that tried to get me in the boat that time that my dad brought it in and it was flopping down the, the boat towards me and it had this angry look in its eye and I mean, I can understand being angry, but it was angry. It was flopping towards me, and I was terrified. I was probably like, I don't know, 10, way too old to be terrified by a fish, but I was terrified by this fish, and so I was going to jump in the water and swim back to shore, and then my dad spoke reason like my dad always does. He said, there's more of them in the water than there is in the boat. I was like, then just take me back to the shore. 
right? And then there was that time that I was casting and I had that professional fishing rod, you know, the one with the little push button that you push in and it, it stops the string from, or the line, fishing line from going out. I guess you don't fish with string, do you, Randy? Fish with fishing line, yeah. So fishing with fishing line. And I clicked the, I let go of the button and it stopped and it hooked me in the foot, which wasn't the bad part. The bad part was the worm that was on the end of it. And he was angry and he was coming after me. And so I was freaking out and I couldn't get that hook out of my foot. And, and all of, I mean, I just, you, you all know my stories. I'm ter- I was a terrified child of everything. But, um, so I'm not a fisherman. Right? But I don't know if they were frustrated with it. I don't know if they were tired of it. I don't know if they were just looking for another out. But for whatever reason, Jesus was so compelling when He walked by them. We talked about this last week, the compelling nature of Jesus' ability to speak. Jesus was so compelling when He walked by there and He said, come follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men, that they literally stopped what they were doing, threw down their nets, and said, okay, there was no talk of compensation. There was no talk of housing. There was no talk of retirement plan. There was no talk of time duration. You know, all of those things that we want to know when we're changing pace in life. Well, how much are you going to pay me? Well, what, you know, what, what are my benefits going to be? Is there going to be insurance? Right? Am I going to be able to afford the lifestyle that I want? What? They just said, okay. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We don't even know what that means. Right? We don't know what being a fisher of men means at this point in time. We at least have the retrospect of looking back and going, well, Jesus was building the church and He wanted them to be a part of this. He was going to live three years and He was going to teach them. They had no idea. The church didn't exist. The temple exists. The synagogue exists. The church didn't exist. Right? Jesus was building a, a, a worldwide religion in that moment, but they didn't know that. He said, come follow me. And they said, okay. And they threw down their nets and they followed him. It's incomprehensible. It'd be like me showing up at your job place and saying, hey, I've got another idea. Come, just quit your job and come on and I'll explain it later. And you're going, okay. Hey, okay. It just doesn't happen. And so in this moment, Jesus walks up to a couple of strangers. And he says, hey guys, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they say, alright. And they pass it on and they move on. So as I was reading this over the last couple of weeks in preparation, I decided to squint a little bit. You know how when you're trying to see something clearly and you squint to really get it? Or if you're, you're like me now and you're just older and your vision's worse and you wake up in the morning and you're trying to see anything and you just squint to see it. You're trying to read what's on your phone. You're like, I don't know what that says. And you move it in and out. So I decided that I would squint a little bit and get a little different view of this passage of Scripture. And as I was reading it, all of a sudden it hit me. We always assume that Jesus is using a metaphor here that is meant for everyone in the world. Right? Like, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah, if I follow Jesus, then I'll be an evangelist with my life. I'll be an evangelist with everything that I have. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus was using a metaphor here for the guys that He was talking to and He was teaching a point that we should all latch on to. Maybe Jesus used the, fish, the, the metaphor fishers of men because He was talking to fishermen and He wanted to speak something that they would understand. But He wasn't saying to all of us, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, He wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to turn you into something you're not. 
But maybe he was saying, hey, come follow me. Use what I've given you. Use what I've gifted you with. Right? And I will help you become what you already are. Which is a gifted, beautiful creation of God. And I'll help you grasp that to its fullest. Right? Because if you think about it, He said, I will make you fishers of men. But they never really fulfilled that ideology. Right? So they tell them, wait a minute, they built the church. They became the church. They went out and preached and, and, and thousands and thousands got saved. Well, yeah, but technically speaking, were they really fishing? Were they fishing? Because think about fishing, right? Fishing is you go out, you find a spot. Now correct me if I'm wrong here, Randy, alright? You go out, you find a spot, you take some bait, you throw it in, and you wait for something to come and bite it. Right? Is that, I mean, that's fairly accurate, right? Jim? Where's Jim? Jim's not, Jim did not stay this week. Jim was like, Todd is not calling me out again. Mark? Pretty accurate? I mean, fairly, like you go a spot, you find this thing, correct me, you got something to say. Go ahead, correct me. <laughs> Mark's like, no, no. I mean, you're going out, you're looking, right? But is that really what the disciples ever did? Did they ever just go out and sit in a spot and be like, hey, we're going to hang out here, we're going to wait for somebody to come by, and then when they bite, we're going to hook them? Or were the disciples more hunters? Right? They were more hunter-gatherers, right? They went out looking, and then we're going to read some Scripture here in a minute where they like boldly set out. They were never just like passively waiting. They were never like spending their day on the water. They were constantly out looking. Right? So is it possible? Is it possible here that there's another interpretation for what's going on? Is it possible that while Jesus was speaking to them, He was saying, hey, instead of, of fishing for yourself, Instead of fishing to make your ends meet, then how about you come follow me and I will help you fish for the kingdom. In other words, follow me and I'll take who you are and what you do and I will put it to kingdom use. Instead of using your gifts and your passions and your marketplace skills for your own benefit, I will use them for my benefit. Because isn't that really what faith in Christ is all about? It's about taking what I was about and making it now what God is about. It's about taking what I thought was right and now pursuing what God tells me is right. What God instinctively lays in me as right and correct and good and what I need to be pursuing. And so is it possible that what Jesus is saying to Simon and Andrew here is come follow me and I'm going to take what you think you are and I'm going to rearrange it. I'm going to show you what you really are. Because do you think that Peter learned to be an evangelist? No. Peter was an evangelist. I guarantee you that Peter was the guy that when the day was done and the boats were up and the fishing nets were cleaned and they were all packed away ready for the next day and everybody went out to eat at the end of the night, right? everybody was sitting and listening to Peter's stories. Because I can guarantee you Peter could tell a story. He could spin a story, man. I guarantee you. And that's why... When he decided to follow Christ, he was the mouthpiece. He was the one that was always talking. Because that's what Peter did. He was just now doing it for Christ rather than doing it for himself. Most of us 
can't be full-time evangelists. Right? Like we can't. We have to make ends meet. We have to work other things. We have to work other jobs. So we're plumbers. We're electricians. We're teachers. We're police officers. We're um, you know bankers. We're accountants. We're cooks. We're real estate agents. We're whatever. Right? We we do whatever. We have to do to make ends meet. And then we try and squeeze in between that moments of, of brilliance for Christ. We try to squeeze in between that moments of, of speaking boldly for Him. We try to squeeze in between their moments where we can look back and go, here's what I did for Jesus today. And instead of that, is it possible that through this story, Jesus is telling us, hey, it's not about what you do for a living, but it's about who you do what you do for. It's about how you utilize what you're doing. It's about not being a full-time evangelist like Simon, Peter, and and Andrew, and all of the other disciples would become. But it's about going to work every day and using the gifts that you use, using the talents you use, using the skills that you use every day in work, using the opportunities that you have every day at work, and utilizing them for the cause of Christ. And not going, well, I would do more, but I have to work. Well, I would do more, but I'm a student. Well, I would do more, but I have practice. Well, I would do more, but I have kids. Well, I would do more, but I have this. Instead, God says, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what's on your plate. I know exactly what you have to do with your time. And I'm telling you, that's perfect. Now use it for me. Now use it for me. You think Peter and Andrew never fished? In the water again? We know they do. They talk about it in Scripture. But it's about using what we do for the cause of Christ. We have to earn a living. We have to go to school. We have to go to practice. We have to do all of these things. But yet, what can we do with that for Christ? In other words, the invitation is still a metaphor, but maybe it's not about changing you into something you're not, but rather stepping into the fullness of who you are. You see, a lot of times we use who we're not as an excuse to not do for Jesus. A lot of times we use who we're not as a crutch for what we haven't accomplished for Him. Well, I can't get up in front of people and talk like Todd does or Luke does. Well, I can't get up in front of people and sing like Jeff does or Jamie does or Reba does. I can't get up in front of people and do that. So that's why I haven't. But maybe it's not about what we're not. Maybe it's about stepping into the fullness of who we are. In other words, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, right? Do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord, right? Whatever you find to do, do it with, with wholeheartedness. Whatever you find to do, do it with fullness. Do it with extreme excitement, right? Be, be, be passionate about everything that we find to do. God knows who you are. He knows your gifts. He knows your abilities. He knows what you're capable of. He knows better what you're capable of than you know what you're capable of. I've told the story before, but we were in, uh, I don't know, New Mexico several years ago on a mission trip. We were driving a church van, brand new church van. Driving a church van. No, it wasn't brand new that trip. It was brand new in Montana. Right, Aaron? Brand new in Montana? She doesn't remember. Anyway, we're driving and we, we, we're going around this construction and this tractor-trailer goes around this uh, safety barrel and he, he, last second, he whips around it. And when he does that, he either clips it or his tailwind grabs it and it throws it down the ground it begins to spin it. And it comes straight at our van and it lodges itself up underneath our van. Right? 
And so I've got this van full of teenagers and this orange barrel underneath the van, and I find a way to get that van. I don't know how, right? It's the literal. It's a literal happening of Jesus take the wheel because I was like, we're all going to die. And they were like, no, we're not. It's okay. I didn't really. I stayed calm. I got the van over. And Robbie, this guy, not much bigger than me, a little taller than me, but not much bigger than me, hops out of the van, runs around to the front, reaches under the van, grabs that barrel with one hand and just rips it out from underneath the van and throws it to the side of the road. We were all like... <laughs> he gets back in the van and I was like, dude, how'd you do that? I'm like, that was amazing. If I put another barrel under there, could you do it again, right? Let's, let's try two barrels. Let's see how strong you are. Kryptonite, how do you feel about that? And so we put that, he takes that barrel, he throws it out there. He didn't know he was capable of that, but in the moment when the adrenaline was pumping and the excitement had gone on and he was terrified for the safety of the children, he was able to pull that thing out of there and just throw it to the side of the road, right? God knows what we're capable of more than we know what we're capable of. Like we've heard stories of mothers lifting cars off of, off of children. Right? Like that's an impressive feat. We moved a car one time when I was in high school. It took eight of us to pick it up and turn it. Right? Like eight of us turned a car. We got it about that far off the ground and we slid it around so that my friend was blocked in between two cars and he couldn't get out because he had early dismissal and we didn't like that. So we turned his car so he couldn't get out, right? But yeah, we've all heard of mothers lifting cars off of infants, right? When they're trapped under there. God knows what we're capable of far more than we know what we're capable of. And He can help us accomplish things in this life that we never imagined that we could do. Simon Peter never thought he would do anything more than throw nets into the water and pull fish in. Instead, he was the cornerstone of a worldwide religion that still flourishes today. And we still learn based on his experiences and his teachings and his words and his letters. This is a guy who was a fisherman because his dad was a fisherman, his grandfather was a fisherman, his great-grandfather was a fisherman, and he never thought he would do more than that. If you had asked Simon Peter, do you think you'll ever write anything that people will be reading ten years from now? He would have said, no way. I don't even know that I can write a legible sentence. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, still reading and learning from the words of Simon Peter. So most of the time we see this idea of being a fisher of men as simply being bold, right? Well, I have to be bold. I have to speak out. And we fail to see that there's so much more that God is calling us to here. Because if God is calling us to realize our full potential, our fullness in who He is, who He's created us to be, His perfect, prized creation, that thing that He talks about when He says, before, you were, before I formed you in the womb, right? I knew you before I intricately wove you together into the exact person that you are. I knew everything about you. But if we're going to be that person that God spent time. Now listen to the language of that passage of Scripture. Before I formed you in the womb. right? And the, the interpretation there is, is an intricate woven tapestry. right? So every detail laid out. And so... God says, before I spent time developing you, does that sound like that He just mass-produced us? No. Every one of us unique. Every one of us individual. Every one of us different. And He says, before I did that, I knew 
you. I knew what you would be capable of. I knew what you would accomplish. And if we're going to do that, then it's more than just regurgitating some Bible verses. It's more than just the, the customary annual mission trip. Right? It's more than just showing up to Sunday school. In fact, there are several things that we need to work on. Besides just being bold in word. Yes, being bold in our word is something that's very important. We need to speak out. Right? We need to, to talk to people about Christ. We need to be vocal about Jesus. But there's so much more than that. Look at this passage real quick in Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Right? Like Scripture tells us it's important for us to speak out about the things of Jesus. It's important for us to do that. A lot of us have gotten comfortable with lifestyle evangelism. Well, I'm just going to let my life speak the truth. Well, sometimes our words need to speak the truth. But here's the thing. If our words speak the truth, our life had better back up what our words are saying. Right? I could go right now, I could go into a gym, I could get out a basketball, I could gather a bunch of kids together, and I could start to tell them right, the intricacies of basketball. But as soon as we got them on the floor and began to play, they would re realize the fraud that I was. Right? They would realize that Todd can't play basketball. Right? And many times, we decide that we're going to speak out boldly. We like to use social media as our platform. I'm going to speak about all the wrongs of the world on social media. I'm going to criticize people. I'm going to attack people. I'm going to chastise people. I'm going to tell people why, what, what they believe is wrong and why what I believe is right. But then we don't match from there and we're suddenly exposed as a fraud. Right? So when we choose to speak out, we better be careful. Because we better make sure that we can match up to what we're saying. So, in order to realize our fullness in Christ, it's not just about being bold in our words, but it's being bold in so many other areas. It's about being bold in prayer. Look at Acts 23 and 24. Acts chapter 4, 23 and 24 says, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. That prayer goes on to say, give us the boldness, right? the boldness to speak out about You. You know what? You know what the message was that they had delivered for the religious leaders? Don't speak out. If you do, punishment's coming. So you know what they did? They prayed boldly. Oh God, don't protect us, but give us opportunities to speak. We need to pray boldly. We need to pray for huge things. A lot of times we pray for little things, like for our dinner to be good. Right? Like That's the extent of God. Like, God make my food good. Let this food be good. Don't we pray that? God is good. God is great. Let's thank Him for our food. You know? And we say things like, Jesus, thank You for this food. And, and my boys always pray that it's good. I'm like, do you not know us by now? We cook good food, right? Like, what are you expecting? But we pray for God to make it good. Like, all of a sudden, He can take America's worst cooks and make them America's greatest cooks through the course of a prayer. And those are the things that we pray for, right? We pray for things like, uh, you know, when somebody gets sick, then we start to pray for them to get better. Hey, God, heal them. Right? Isn't that our first prayer? God, heal them. Maybe. Maybe we should pray something a little different there. How about that? 
How about when we say God healed him and God doesn't? Then we are disappointed. We're heartbroken. We're disenfranchised, right? We look at God and we go, why wouldn't you? Last night, my family watched the movie uh, Breakthrough. A movie about the, the boy that falls through the ice. And towards the end of the movie, sorry if this is a spoiler, it's not a spoiler. Everybody kind of should know what the storyline does. But at the end of the story, uh, towards the end of the movie, a teacher, a grown woman teacher, asks this young man, why do you think God chooses to save some and not others? She said, my husband came down with cancer and, and he died from it. God didn't save him. Why do you think he chooses to save some and not others? And I remember last night I looked at Leanne and I was like, that's a pretty heavy question to ask a 13-year-old boy who just came back to school because he died, right? Like, that's a pretty heavy question. But we ask that question, don't we? And is it maybe because we set ourselves up for that? Because when someone gets sick, our automatic prayer is God healed them. Instead of praying, God, what can we do with this situation? Like, if you choose to heal them, God, what can we do with that situation? But if you choose not to heal them, then God, what can we do with that situation? It's all about perspective. Right? But we say God heal them, and that's the only prayer that we pray. We've, we've established God as a genie in a bottle. Poof. God, here's what I need. Make it happen. Right? But that's not God at all. God is a wildly creative, independent, completely imaginative God of all creation, right? And He tells us His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts, right? He functions completely different than we do. So when God said, when we say God healed them, and God says, no, no, that's not the plan. And that's the only thing we've asked God? then we become disappointed. So instead, let's pray boldly. God, if You don't heal them, then what can we do with this life? What can we do with this storyline? What can we do with this moment? What becomes of this God? Let's ask God for big, bold requests. You guys know that I've been praying for the apartment buildings up here for a couple of years now. I want those apartment buildings. I don't want to buy them. I want the city to give them to us. Right? You say, Todd, well, that doesn't happen. Well, that's okay. I've told the city that when I've talked to them about it. I told them, I said, we would like to have those apartments. When they condemned that one because it was the largest uh, uh, opioid den in the city, right? And they closed it. And I called our, our representatives and I said, we would like to have that. And they said, well, we can give you the name of the owner and you can see if he would sell it. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to buy it. I want you to condemn it and give it to us. And they said, well, I don't know that that's going to happen, but we'll make some phone calls. right?" And they did. They made some phone calls. They would have never made those phone calls if we, if we hadn't said it. We've got to pray big, bold, crazy, imaginative prayers and, and, and see what God is capable of. We've not hardly experienced anything that God's capable of in our lives because we're constantly just asking for little things like keep me safe. Keep me safe. Instead of God, do something just unexpected with me. Right? Do something unimaginable with me. Do something incomprehensible with me. We've got to learn to pray boldly. We've also got to be grateful for what we've given, what we've been given how many of us are unsettled in our lives? We're constantly looking around at other people. We're constantly wondering, man, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had what they had. I've told you all before, my dad told me something right before I got married. 
He said, hey, look, you're going to look around and look at all that your mother and I have. He said, you're going to think that that's what you need in marriage, right? But this is the culmination of, at that point in time, 30, 35 years of marriage, 30 years of marriage, whatever it was. You know, this is the culmination of 30 years of marriage that we have. You're going to start out with nothing and you're going to build with something, right? And so many times we look around at life and we become, man, I wish I had a car like them. I wish I had a house like them. I wish I had parents like them. I wish I had the athletic ability that they have. I wish I had the, the brain that they have. I wish I had this. And we, 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 we stop being, right, grateful for what we have. And we become envious of what everyone else has. Gratefulness in the world today is a foreign language. We just look around and go, man, I'm okay with what I've got. Now, what can God do with it? Right? Like, how can I move forward? Look at Isaiah 55.12. Isaiah 55.12 says, You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. You will live in joy and peace. Not you will live in, in abundance and, 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 and wealth, but you will live in joy and peace. When we focus on what Christ is giving us rather than what we don't have, we find joy and peace. But not only do we need to be bold in word and bold in prayer, but we need to be wildly obedient to God. And this is probably the most difficult one. To be wildly obedient to God. Not just in the simple, easy things. Not just in getting up and going to church. That's easy. Right? That's, that's simple. Right? Not just in saying a prayer in a restaurant before you eat your meal because that's crazy out there. People can see you, right? And so they automatically know that you're a Christian because you're praying out in public. But wildly obedient. Walking across the street to talk to that person that you don't know that God lays on your heart and just says, hey, you don't know them, but they're going through something, walk over there and talk to them. I, I've, I've, again, I've told you guys the story before about Leanne and I being at Panera out in Fountain City that time and this guy, this man and this woman were just going at it. Man, they were fighting and they were yelling and they were arguing with each other. And all of a sudden he gets up and he walks out and he leaves her there. And God said, go talk to her. And I said, God, I'm not going to do it. I'm a grown man. She's a woman who's sitting there. She's crying. She's obviously just upset. She's obviously hurt. I've obviously seen what happened. You know, she's going to think I'm trying to take advantage of the situation. I'm not going to do it, God. And so... I go back to my meal and I talk to Leanne a little bit and God says, go talk to her. She's still upset. And, I'm, and, I, and again, I have this debate with God. I said, God, I'm just not going to do it. Right? I'm not going to do it. So I go back to my meal. I go back to discussing with Leanne and she gets up and she walks out. And immediately, I think, I, I should have gone over and spoken with her. And I was like, God, if you give me another opportunity, I'm going to go talk to her. She goes out to the parking lot to her car and she stops and she just stands there and just cries. I see her and I go, dang it. And I debate and I debate and I debate and I tell myself this, Todd, you can't approach a woman who's standing by herself in a parking lot that's visibly shaken and disturbed. You can't approach her. You can't do it. You're going to scare her. She's going to think you're trying to mug her. She's going to think you're trying to do something to her. You just can't do it. Just stay in your seat. And I convinced myself to stay in my seat. She stands there for a couple of minutes, cries, gets in her car and drives off. Never saw her again. Wouldn't know that woman if she were sitting here today. Maybe she is. Maybe you're going to walk up to me afterwards and be like, you should have come and talked to me because I really needed somebody, right? I don't know who she was. Probably never see her again. God said, go talk to her. And I gave, her, I gave him all my excuses. 
But we have to learn to be wildly obedient. God says, and we go. Look, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we must do in all things, even the unimaginable things, like walking away from everything you'd ever known, like Andrew and Simon did. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. It says, didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? He demanded, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. Hold right there for just a second, Tyler. Go back to that real quick. This is Peter standing in front of the religious leaders. And they're now telling him, didn't we tell you? Like We told you what was going to happen if you kept preaching about Jesus, right? We told you, and what we thought you would do is we thought you would listen because we're really intimidating and we're really scary. But instead, you kept teaching, and not only did you keep teaching, you filled all Jerusalem about You didn't just keep teaching, you became dogmatic about it. right? Like you became unstoppable about it. And you want to blame us for his death. Well, that's because they were responsible. But they didn't like those details. So then it goes on in verse 29 to say this. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Right? They were told, don't do this. It's going to be bad for you. But they said, we can't. We got to follow God. We got to trust Him. Listen, is it possible? Is it possible that Christ wasn't just calling Peter and Andrew to a life of evangelism, but He was calling them to a life of taking everything that they have and everything that they are and devoting it completely 100% to God. And letting God sort out what life looks like from there. Instead of trying to take God and fit Him into what they thought their life should be, they said, okay God, here it is. We Literally and symbolically, they threw down everything they had. They threw down the nets. They threw down their careers. They threw down their heritage. They threw down their their family lines. They threw down their their livelihood. And they walked away and said, okay, Jesus, here we go. I'm willing. You fill in the blanks. Is it possible that when Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that He was speaking to all of us, but rather than saying, listen, go on and live your life and be an evangelist, He was saying, listen, what I'm telling you to do is throw down everything and then let me fill in the blanks. Stop expecting what you think life should be and instead let me take you to the life that I have for you. Let me lead you in the places that I have for you. Listen, my life has been filled with really strange, isolated times of life. And as I've gotten older, God has started to take all of those moments and weave them together into the life that I now live. When we say, God, here it is, boom, I'm throwing down the net. I'm throwing down my expectations. I'm throwing down my plans. I'm throwing down my desires. I'm throwing down my wants. I'm throwing down you know, what I think I'm good at. I'm throwing down my lifestyle. I'm throwing down my heritage. I'm throwing down my livelihood. I'm throwing down everything. And I'm just saying, God, here it is. Fill in the blanks. Is it possible? Is it possible that God knows better than we do where we should be headed, what we're capable of, and the life that we should be living? 
You know why we're so messed up in the world today? It's because somewhere along the line, the ideology of humanism took over, which was that we know better. We're in charge. We're in control. And we weren't designed for that. We were designed for God to be in control. Is He in control of your life today? Are you letting Him fill in the blanks? Or are you simply trying to steer your life and you're allowing God in in certain times and moments? You've scheduled Him on Sundays. You've scheduled Him on Wednesdays. You've scheduled Him at certain times of Bible study during the week. But you're not letting Him infiltrate every area of your life. You haven't thrown down the net. Maybe this morning, it's your time. Say, here you go, God. Maybe it's for salvation. Maybe it's to know Him as Savior. Maybe you've never thrown down the net and said, okay, God, I'm willing to give you complete control over my eternal destiny. Maybe it's your career. Maybe you've been holding on to it and you never said, okay, God, here it is. Maybe God doesn't switch your job. Maybe He just switches the way you do your job. Maybe it's your relationships. Right? Who knows? Throw down the net. See what God does when He begins to fill in the blank pages of your life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning?